Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. This morning, go ahead and grab your Bible if you haven't got it open already. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We got one verse today, y'all. One verse. But it's a whole lot here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We're talking about something that we commonly know as the golden rule. And anybody know the golden rule? How many of y'all could actually recite that from memory? Mm-hmm. In, high, in well, elementary, we had to like memorize the golden rule. Anybody had to do that? No? I was at a weird school or something? Okay, I'm sorry, y'all. We, we did that in Gary, Indiana. But hey, we're going to talk about that today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and talking about what it means to be a Christian, living as a Christian in everyday world. So if you got it, go ahead and stand your feet with me as we read just one verse today, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. All right, one verse. Verse 12, it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Very word of God, amen? Today I want to preach on this topic, doing unto others. Can you say that with me? Doing unto others. Let's pray. Father God, right now as we enter your word, Lord, I pray that you decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. May you be lifted up in this place. Let us hear a word from you and not from me. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all say together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, this is biblical truth that says you reap what you sow. Anybody ever heard that? Galatians 6, 7. Y'all going to have to talk to me when I ask y'all questions. Y'all heard of that before? Reap what you sow? Come on now. Galatians 6, 7. That's where we get that. And it's really an agricultural illustration where a farmer, when they are trying to reap a harvest, whether it be grain or something other than that, they cannot reap the harvest if they don't sow seeds. How many of you guys know that this is true also in your relationships? You reap what you sow. What I mean is the investments you make in your relationships and how you treat other people is commonly how you're treated in return. But isn't it funny that many times we treat people how we want to treat them, whether that's good or bad, but in return, we expect to be treated with honor and respect. We expect to be treated with nothing but goodness. Isn't it funny how we think that, you know, that I can treat you bad, but you better treat me well. It's kind of like this. It's, it's like a little kid kicking another kid in school. Like, I just think it's going to be funny. Little boys do this all the time. I'm going to just kick you. And, and in their minds, it's like, oh, it's funny. They should laugh at it. But in actuality, in reality, what happens is when they kick the other kid, the other one reacts and just, just hits them in the mouth. Now the one kid is bleeding because he thought it was going to be funny and he's, he's crying instead of laughing and he's like, well, he hit, he hit me in my mouth. What do you think was going to happen when you kicked him? 
I bet, yeah, maybe I can't get with that. Let me bring it a little closer to home. This is bad in marriages. Undoubtedly, most of the sessions I have with people, there's always one spouse that, in a way, is saying, well, I want them to love me a certain way. I want them to care for me, and they're supposed to do this. They, I expect them to give me the love, the honor, respect. respect. They should approve of me. They should accept me. Like, there's this expectation that they should do this, and when they don't do it, they get upset. And when I'm counseling people, I'm always talking to the person. I'm not necessarily talking about your spouse. I don't want to get into that. So if we're talking one-on-one and you're talking about what they should be doing, I'm always going to ask, well, what have you done? How have you sown into your relationship? You want to reap the benefits of it, but how have you sown into the relationship? Well, maybe that's not you either. Maybe you're like, I'm not married, Pastor. I can't get with that one. Okay, how many of us have dated before? Come on, don't be shy. You have dated before, you've been in a relationship before. One person is head over heels, and the other person is, is like, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. They're straddling the fence, sadly, sometimes. Most of the time, these are my guys. I'm not trying to come at y'all, but we get kind of passive, like, man, she loved me, but I don't know, dude. I'm not sure if I want to do this with her. I'm not sure. And she's like, girl, you know, he about to marry me. He about, he about to give me that ring. We're about to go down the aisle. Did you? Did you? And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And then unbeknownst to her, he just breaks up with her. And she's devastated. And he's like, well, can't we still be cool? And she's like, what? This broke my heart. It don't even make any sense. Can't we still be cool? No, it don't work that way. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, I'm not in a relationship, but you expect your friends to treat you a certain way, but you haven't made any relational deposits into the relationship. But you expect them to love you and treat you well. Or, or maybe your boss, maybe your boss, and you got some employees under you, and you say, they need to respect me. They need to, they need to know that I'm their leader. But how are you treating your employees? We gotta ask that question first. Now, hear me, this, and all that I'm saying, family, when we see in this text today, look, this is something that we're familiar with, the golden rule. It's commonly called that, but sadly, it's misinterpreted badly in today's society. Or should I say, we expect the good return treatment without extending goodness first. And here's the truth of the matter for the Christian in here. As you'll see today in the text, the Christian, regardless how we're treated or the, the return expectation or what we're going to get, we're supposed to, we're called to extend goodness towards other people regardless of the outcome. Because that's what Christ did for us. He didn't wait for us to be good to him. No, he stepped out of heaven, came down here, died the death that we were supposed to die. We killed him, essentially. But he still was good to us. That's the gospel. Now, hear me. With all of this, I don't want you to hear me saying that you need to be a doormat. You need to be a punching bag. You need to continually extend goodness when somebody's being bad to you over and over again. That's not what I'm saying, but Christians, hear me, must always lead with goodness first. But sadly, that's not how we've been in society. 
So I need you to ask yourself this question. This is what I want you to meditate on as we walk through the passage today. Do I lead with goodness in my relationships? Do I always seek to treat others as I want to be treated in return? How do I treat others? Do I lead with goodness in my relationships and do I seek to to do well by others? Do I treat others the way that I want to be treated? That's the question we got to ask this morning. Now, our text today, it comes on the heel of Jesus talking about how good God is and how generous he is and good toward us. We spoke about this last week in the passage where we talked about Christians have to continually be persistent and come to God and keep asking and keep praying and keep knocking and keep seeking. We talked about that last week because we know that God knows what's best for us as Christians, even if it's not what we want or it doesn't come the way we want it to. See, the Christian has to believe that God being a sovereign God knows what's best and will always do what's best for us. See, believing in him means to give him all of our devotion, all of our trust. We trust in his providence, which is tough. Because that means I have to relinquish control of my life. I have to give up power over my life and I got to trust him. But here's the problem. If we don't truly trust him or give him all of us, what happened is that we never really fully appreciate the goodness of God because we're still trying to drive the car. We're still holding on to it. Jesus, I got this. You can roll with me, but I got this. And reality is we need to let go of the wheel and let Jesus drive. There's nothing worse than a backseat driver telling him what to do. I mean, my mama used to tell me, I'm driving this buggy. You need to sit down and be quiet. There's nothing worse than a backseat driver trying to dictate where you're going. And God's like, I got you. Just trust me. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean that God won't do good things in your life if you don't trust him completely. Because he is God. He can do whatever he wants to whenever he chooses. He can work even if you're not with him. But you will calmly, don't miss this, you will calmly miss the blessing of what he's doing in your life if you don't trust him. Because instead of looking to what God thinks is best, what God is going to do, what's best in your life, you're coming to God with like, this is what I think is best for my life, God. So you should do this. And now you're missing God because you're looking for what you want instead of what he wants for you. So the Christian, you got to keep on coming, God. Keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Because you know God is truly good. Now, In this passage today, in light of God's generosity and goodness to us, hear me, treating others in the manner we would like to be treated ourselves is the least we can do in light of God's goodness. What what this means is that as we look at how good God has been to us, how he has met us in the midst of our sin, how he's met us in the midst of our mess, mess, his goodness toward us should lead us to be able to be good to others regardless of who they are. See, it's this whole idea of crossing lines. If you've been here at Renewal, you've, talk, you've heard me talk about crossing lines with other individuals. What that means is that there's lines all over society that divide us from, for, that are stopping us or trying to stop us from getting into relationships with other people. What happens is we see the line of division and we say, well, oh, that's a socioeconomic divide. That's a racial divide. They're different than me. They do things that I don't agree with. And usually we kind of stop at that line. But Christianity, Jesus calls us to step over the line. And step into relationship with them. But he doesn't just call us to step in relationship with them. But we're called now to love them. 
That's where it gets hard. See, Jesus says that you are my disciples in John 13, 35, and he says you'll be known as my disciples by your love. He doesn't say that people will know you by how you hate people. He doesn't say they will know you by how you despise or how you look down on them. He doesn't even say they will know you by how good your works are. He says they will know you're my disciples by how you love other people. So Christians are called to love. Jesus says it another way in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. He says this. He says, look at it with me. He says, you shall love your Lord, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You notice at the end of this verse, it says the same thing as our verse today. The law and the prophets. Basically, what Jesus is saying is that to love me with everything you have and then to love others is really the summation of the Christian faith. But the issue with this is, especially in our individualized, somewhat polarizing community or Christianity today, is that we make Christianity very private. We make our faith very private. It's about me and God. And when we do that, we don't seek the betterment of other people. We don't actually cross lines with other people. We, 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 it's all about me. And that's not Christianity at all. Uh, 1 John 4, 20 to 21 says this. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, here's the point. Christians cannot love God and not love others and then call themselves genuine Christians. Jesus saves us not just for our own good, but now that we know or understand his goodness, we're now called to go out and share that same love, that same joy, that same peace, that same hope with other people that need to know him. The gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard me say this before, but it's not just vertical reconciliation between us and God where Jesus is hanging on that cross. It's not just that vertical beam where now through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we're, re we're, 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 we're redeemed and God now looks at us as righteous through, through Jesus and says, look, you're, you're, you're good now. You're, you're, you're righteous because my son died for you. Yeah, that's part of the gospel, but it's also horizontal too. When Jesus is hanging on that cross with those nails hang, hung, hung, hanging on the cross with nails in each one of his hands blood dripping from it thieves on each side of him have nothing in common with him Jesus lets us know he, he shows us that it's also horizontal because he tells the guy next to him you will also be in paradise with me ain't got nothing in common with him Jesus is hanging on there for nothing he didn't do anything wrong these guys did he says you will be in paradise with me so I need you to hear me the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about your reconciliation to God you personally or individually it's also about horizontal relationship to other people Re reconciliation to other people don't miss that so it's not individually about just us experiencing the goodness of God and this is the problem because we come to God and we just, we just become like a sponge and we soak up all the goodness and, and the sponge. You, know, you ever seen a sponge? It gets, it gets heavy and it soaks up water. And, and it, it, what we do commonly in Christianity is we just hold on to it. But the reality is when you look, read the Bible and you understand God's goodness, don't miss this. We are to be like a sponge that's wrung out and all the water and the goodness of God is now sprinkled across a world that needs to know him.
See, Christians are to treat others with the same goodness and the same generosity that has been extended to them through Jesus. But here's the hard part. Because the question becomes, all right, Pastor D, I hear what you're saying, but who are those people that I need to love? Hey, you, you want me to share my goodness with other people, but, but who should I treat well? Who are these people? Because here's the reality behind the question is like, well, I, I don't want to give my love away to people that aren't going to give it back to me. I don't want to give my goodness to people because I might get hurt. So, so who are the people I need to love? And here's the reality. That question really is not Christian when we're talking about, well, well, I don't want to get hurt in the end because Jesus calls us to give love away regardless of what might be happening to us. So let me help you with who Christians are to meet with love. The people we are to meet with love and be good to, are y'all ready for this? They are the black the white, the Asian, the Latino, every race of people. They are the poor, the rich, and the middle class. They are the Republican and the Democrat. They are the prostitute, the homosexual, the transgender, the bisexual, and the straight. They are the orphan, the widow, the sex slave, and the sex trafficker. They are the murderer and the victim. They are the guilty and the innocent. They are the good kids and the so-called bad kids. They are the crooked politician. Should I keep going? They are the police officer, the lawyer, the businessman, and the veterinarian. They are the good people and the bad people, they are you and me. But here's the reality. As I just walk through that list, there's a reason why y'all aren't amen in me right now. Because there's some people in that list, they are like, wait a second. I need to love them? Or we don't agree with what they've done who they are, maybe they've hurt us. Like, I don't know about that, Pastor D. Can I, can I be honest with you guys for a second? Can I be really honest this morning? That's a question. You're good? Okay, good, good, good. For example, it can be hard for black people to love police officers nowadays when black folks like Atiana, Tatiana Jefferson playing video games in her living room get shot doing nothing wrong with her nephew. And, and here's a quick history lesson. This didn't just start today. The, the dissension or the distrust between black folks and police officers did not just start today. What just happened today is social media, which still disturbs me that somebody can pull out a phone and then watch somebody being brutally hurt and not do anything about it. Let me tell you about how I was raised. I was raised by black parents, and they told me, good parents, they told me, said, look, when you're in trouble, Derek, as a black man out in this society, you don't call the police off. You don't call the police. You call us first. You call people that you know are for you because history lends to the, to the fact that they're not necessarily for you. I mean, when you look back over history and you look back to 1800s and slavery and when the police force actually in America was, was, was established, there may be some good in it, but historically for black folks, it was not designed to help them. It was designed to keep them down, to keep them in line. And so, so when you think about history here in America and you think about people being treated as less than 
and as animals for hundreds and hundreds of years, what kind of relationship do you think you're going to have with them? I mean, and, and black people are just supposed to get over it, right? Jim Crow South, it, it wasn't that long ago. People are still getting hurt to this day. So, so hear me. When I was in trouble, my parents told me, he said, look, you call home. To this day, family, I'm going to be honest with you. When I get pulled over by a police officer, my hands are attended to. They do not move. And I make sure to be very intentional with every move I make. Because if I move wrong, or if I say one word that seems remotely out of line with what he thinks I need to say, I know that I could be shot. So I'm not nervous about the ticket I might get. I could be wrong, but, but I don't know what's about to happen now. That's tough. And family, don't hear me saying that there are not good police officers out here. There's not good law enforcement. That, that's not what I'm saying. But as a black man, when I look at history, when I look at what's happened to me being pulled out of my own car when I've done nothing wrong several times and then let go with no ticket, no nothing, just because of the color of my skin, personally, family, when I look at all of these things that have happened, it's hard to trust police officers at times. But yet, this is where Jesus works. Because some of my good friends and some of my relatives work in law enforcement. And y'all, that's just one of those relationships I just listed off that can be hard to navigate. Pastor Brian Loritz came in here a few weeks ago and he talked to us about how we navigate relationships with the LGBTQ community. That's tough. But here's the point. Christians should not be able to see lines of division and say, I'm not stepping over that to love this other individual. That's not what Jesus did for you. If, he saw, if Jesus saw the line, none of us would be here, family. He, if he didn't cross the line first and love us in the midst of our mess, we wouldn't be here. So as Christians, we're supposed to see those lines, but we break through the lines to love other people. And hear me, notice I didn't say that you should just love the Christian either. Sometimes that person is Christian, but more times than most, they're someone that's far from God that you're called to love because through you loving them, they will see Jesus. So family, let us not ever think of ourselves as better than someone else because we're running after God. We're doing right. We're in church. And because of all those things, we can't associate with those people over there. No, no, no. That's not the gospel. Friends, we've all done something wrong. We've all done something that doesn't line up with God's standard. We've all done something that he would look at and be like, I, I, that, that, that's not right. But yet, he still loves us. What God requires of us is perfection. He requires holiness, and all of us miss that mark. Each one of us, including myself, we're all in the same category. We're put in that same box as the people that I just listed off or the people that we deem as bad or don't want to do life with. So hear me, when Christ died, y'all, he levels the playing field. He levels the playing field because all sin to fall short of the glory of God and we need a savior and Jesus hung on the cross not just for those people that we deem as, as bad or need a savior but he hung on the cross for a world to see because we all needed Jesus. See, and here's the point. The whole world is in need of Jesus whether we deem ourselves as good or bad. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor or treat those as you want to be treated, he's really saying to the believer, remember, 
Remember, you were in your sin too. And although it may be a different situation or a different circumstance, you were still loved by me. So love your neighbor as you have been loved. Hear me, it's the grace of God that we that believe are saved. Nobody deserved it. It's his love. Friends, Jesus crossed the first line into a world that didn't want him. We killed him. So those of us that call him Savior and Lord, engaging others that are different than us, it's not really an option. It's what we are called to do. And don't hear me wrong, because this does not mean don't share truth. Hear me clearly. True love dwells in truth, but we're not called to extend truth without leading with love and grace first. Let me say that again. True love dwells in truth, but we're not called to extend truth without leading with grace and love first. That's what was done for us. I mean, the reality is if Jesus just led with judgment and, didn't, and then God didn't love us first, then we wouldn't be here. He said, look, they're in that mess, they're there, they're this, this is what's going on, but Jesus, you go down there, love them, live the life that they're supposed to live, you die on the cross for their sins. That's grace, that's love. But it's truth, because he lived a life that we couldn't. Family, I know this is hard. I know it's hard. I can tell by how quiet it is in here. But if we obey what Jesus says in Matthew 22, where he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, then that means we'll follow him and we'll do as he did. So we'll go around praying and sharing our lives and lives in hopes that people will come know him. But we have to love others first and treat them the way we would like to be treated. If we love Jesus, it will compel us to have compassion and cross those lines that are hard for us to cross, that we wouldn't normally cross. Dinner tables will look different. We'll enter into relationships with others no matter who they are or what they've done. So I need you to ask yourself, what do those relationships look like in your life right now? What's your dinner table look like at night? Do you do life with people that are different than you or they are just the same? Are you treating others the way you would like to be treated? Now, before y'all get this twisted up, I want you to look at the text with me again. Now, now notice with that, and doing unto others, it doesn't say do unto others in order that they might do for us. See, this is where we mess this thing up. In other words, this is not to be manipulative in the statement where I did this, and so because of that, you need to do this for me. I scratched your back, so you need to scratch mine. I mean, how many of us have friends or people in our lives that do that? Show of hands. How many people are in your life, like, you know, somebody, well, I did this, and they just hang it over your head. Here's the reality. You're going to do something for me and hang it over my head. Don't do it at all, please. I don't want it. I don't need it. See, the Christian's motive behind doing for others is never to be transactional. 
It's not transactional or else it's not Christian at all. We do for others because Christ did for us and his motive behind that had nothing to do with what he was going to receive. It wasn't about him. It wasn't transactional. He wasn't standing on the cross like, well, I'm bleeding out for them. I got whipped. I did all of this. So they're going to come to me now. You know, it's all about me. They're going to come to me. They're going to get in line and and they're going to ask for forgiveness. That wasn't transactional. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, which meant that there was no guarantee of us coming in his in response. He did so because he loved us and he's good. Now, hear me. He does want us to accept him. He does want us to believe in him. But it wasn't transactional because here's the other thing. There is nothing and there was nothing that we can bring to the table to give to him that he doesn't already possess. This statement is also not manipulative because look, he's God. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to manipulate you to come to him. He could just breathe and we'd all come. But instead, he doesn't do that. He steps out of heaven. Since Jesus steps out of heaven, comes down here and dies the death that we were supposed to, he shows us his love. He displays his love and kindness. And through that, he draws us to him. Because as I said last week, it's his goodness family that is unexplainable. It's unimaginable. Because that's a goodness that we don't commonly display. But maybe you're saying, okay, Pastor, I get what you're saying, but that's not me. I didn't read the text that way. Well, let me, let me clear up another one. It doesn't say don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. See, it doesn't say that. So, see, see there, there's a reason why Jesus phrases this verse right here using the positive versus the negative. Biblical scholar named Bill Mounts, he says it this way. He says, in its negative form, look at it with me. He says, in its negative form. The golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. The positive form moves us to action on behalf of others. So if you don't want others to do wrong to you, in the negative form, you just don't have to do anything. And many of us, this is what we do. We say, you do you, I'm going to do me. I'm going to stay out of your business. I'm going to mind my own business. You do that. I'm good. But here's the thing. I need y'all to follow me with this. From the Christian perspective, even negative commands imply positive action. Follow me. It goes back to one of those first antithesis statements when we're in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us through this whole trek through the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verses 21 through 25, I'm going to help you with it. Jesus talks about not being angry with people. He's talking about murder, but he says, don't even get angry with people because if you're angry with people, then you've already committed murder in your heart. Now, this verse, the golden rule, as we call it, is now the summation to that whole, to this whole Sermon on the Mount, right up to this point where he says, even if we succeeded now in not murdering or not hating or not verbally abusing somebody, we still have not completely obeyed until we earnestly are seeking others' well-being. So in other words, we can't just not do bad. But on top of that, the Christian is supposed to seek, to go above and beyond to seek the benefit of someone else. This means if someone hurts me, someone does wrong to me, I not only shouldn't retaliate or have uh, bad thoughts toward them, but I also should seek their good. Now that's tough. 
But that's the gospel. We rebelled against God. We rebelled against Jesus. We haven't done good in this sight, but yet he still does good towards us. This is why Jesus references the law and the prophecies right here in this passage. Jesus is saying, you can't just love me and obey my commandments. That's not understanding my goodness. My goodness shouldn't just draw you to repentance. It shouldn't just draw you to obedience and love for me, but it should compel you to share it with others that don't know my goodness. Regardless of who they are, what they've done, because I have done exactly that for you. The gospel says, look, you were existing in your darkness. You were in that mess. And when you're there, God, God's not turning a blind eye to you. He's not like, oh, man, they're they messing up. They're going to figure it out. I'm in my plush kingdom right now. I'm, I'm sitting on my throne. They'll figure it out. I'm cool. I'm not going to. No, no, he doesn't turn a blind eye to your mess. He sees you there, and he says, Those are my, that's my creation. Since Jesus comes out here and dies the death that we are supposed to die, we didn't deserve it, though. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God towards our sin. We didn't deserve it, though. And he could have just stopped there, but then he extends eternal life if we believe in him. Again, we didn't deserve it. That's goodness over and over again extended toward us. See, when we understand how God went out of his way for sinners, you and me, his enemies, there is nothing that should stop us from loving others and treating them as we want to be treated. We extend love first because we have first been loved by God. Now, friends, as I come to an end, I know there are some of us in here that are having a lot of trouble with this because we've been hurt by people. And to love people and to treat them well is tough. It's tough, especially if they've wronged us. I mean, some of us have put our trust and hope in people. We made them idols and they have let us down. They've hurt us. And because of this, some of us, what we do is we put up walls. We have walls around our heart because we don't want to get hurt anymore. So we're not let, allowing people to hurt us. When we get close to people and, and you start seeing that intimate connection there, the relationship's going well, whether it's a friendship or, or something else, you're like, oh, I don't know. You keep that wall up around your heart. And the problem with walls, family, is that walls have two sides. So now you're not only allowing, not allowing things in, but you can't allow your love to go out now. You, you, you're having problems sharing your emotions with people. You're wondering why your friendships aren't going well. Well, you can't even share what you really feel. Your marriage is on the rocks because you can't share your emotions adequately with your spouse. You can't really love them because you got this wall around your heart because you don't want to get hurt. All you know how to do is push away and protect. And when you feel rejection and when you feel hurt coming, when you feel insecurity, you book it like Usain Bolt. You keep it moving. And see, here's the problem. Not only are you not allowing people to hurt you, not allowing people into that space in your heart, but you can't fully experience the love of God because your heart is so closed off to everything. 
God's like, I want to love you. I want you to experience my goodness. I want you to experience me in my fullness. But you got this wall up. And that wall is not allowing us to experience his goodness. We haven't fully accepted the fact that we've been loved by God in the midst of our mess, in the midst of what we've done. He still sees us and he still loves us. He doesn't shun you. He loves you and he's trying to let you experience that. He wants you to know his love, but yet you can't experience his love. So you really haven't known as you haven't been known as a person that's loved by God. And because you don't know his love, it's hard to share something that you don't know about. And some of us right now, we need to say, God, I need you to bulldoze this wall around my heart. I need you to tear it down. God, I I want your love. I want to experience your acceptance. I want to experience your approval, your grace, and your mercy. Mercy, tear this wall down. And hear me, the good news about this is that when you fully surrender all of you to God, and you open up your heart to him and his goodness and you make, you make his hands your dwelling place, then hear me, you will fully experience the love that he has, the goodness that he extends towards you and you'll be able to treat others well regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done to you because your identity no longer lies in what other people think or what's around you, but it lies in who Jesus is what God says about you. See, once you give your life to him and surrender all of that, the wall is gone, and you experience the goodness of Jesus. Watch in due time, the wall fall, and then the well springs of love just start to flow and trickle out on the world around you. Watch your community change. Watch your marriage change. Watch your relationships change. Because you now know how to love someone else and treat them well because you've been treated well. That's what it means to treat others the way you would like to be treated. You got to first know how we've been treated by God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness this morning. Thank you for truth, God. I know it's a hard space for us to be vulnerable and actually share love with others, God. But Lord, I pray that you would intervene right now in the hearts of your people. If someone's struggling with this, maybe they're struggling with in their marriage or within a relationship or friendship or just period, God. That you would just bulldoze the wall around that heart, God. That they'd first be known by you. Known that they're loved by a good God. God, that didn't have to love us, but you still choose to. And then that, God, I pray that we'd be found in that and we'd be able to love others because of that. You're a good God. We don't deserve your goodness, God, but you still extend it. And I pray that, God, that we'll see that and through that we'll extend the same goodness towards other people and in hopes that they will come to know you too. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.